song is over It's all behind me Alright, we are back. Uh, this is usually where we do our obituaries, the top of segment three. And indeed, the song is over for Tower. The record store that started in Sacramento 46 years ago and went all over the world has been sold. It was sold last week, sadly, to a liquidating firm after a court-supervised bankruptcy auction over a couple of days. It's the end of an era, and we are sorry to see it pass. I think we'll have to leave this topic up to some of our music DJs to adequately cover. We would also like to note with uh, sadness the passing of Buck O'Neill. He was baseball's charismatic Negro Leagues ambassador who barnstormed with Satchel Paige and uh, passed away last week at age 94. Always projecting warmth, wit, and a sunny optimism that sometimes seems surprising for a man who lived in a climate of racial injustice for so long, O'Neill remained vigorous well into his 90s. He had long been popular in Kansas City, where he played for the Kansas City Monarchs, but he rocketed to national stardom in 1994 when filmmaker Ken Burns featured him in his PBS documentary, Baseball. Buck O'Neill was indeed one of the stars of that fabulous uh, documentary series, and even if you don't like baseball, I can't recommend uh, that series by Ken Burns highly enough. The history of the sport of baseball is interweaved with the history of America. We should note that Ken Burns is coming to town to speak as part of the Sacramento Speakers Series sometime in April, and we're going to do what we can to get him on the program. We promised on last week's show we would talk a little bit about America's two gay presidents, and uh, we will do that a bit. I was hoping for some help here from some of my fellow DJs in public affairs. Uh, That help apparently is not going to be forthcoming this week, so I'm only going to tell half the story. Washington, of course, is uh, talking mainly about uh, Dennis Hastert and, uh, and and Florida Congressman Mark Foley as regards this uh, exploitation, uh, this sexual harassment, uh, this pedophilia, this whatever you want to call it, scandal that's reverberating. You may have noticed on Tuesday that uh, that House Speaker Dennis Hastert said if anybody in his office had anything to do with covering up this case of Mark Foley, they're going to be fired. Not not the boss, of course, but any of his underlings. You know, I really do need some help on this issue with some of my fellow uh, public affairs hosts. I particularly want to talk about an article that was in the Chronicle last week where it quoted Jack Drescher, chairman of the American Psychiatric Association's Committee on Gay, Lesbian, and Bisexual Issues, saying that, quote, that fact that an adult has a pedophile diagnosis or pedophile tendencies tells you nothing about their adult relationships. It tells you about what kind of children they're attracted to. I appreciate the anger that the gay community must experience by, by the assumption or the assertion that's put out there that, uh, that gay equals pedophile, something that is on the face of it absurd. On the other hand, the claim by Jack Drescher that, uh, that a diagnosis of pedophilia tells you nothing about adult relationships is, I think, an absurdity too. But let's leave that alone for this week. And uh, talk about half of what I was going to talk about, our two gay presidents. Let's talk about our first gay president. And uh, if you're unaware of it, the best historical evidence suggests that James Buchanan, America's 15th president, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, was in fact gay. When I learned the presidents as a boy, I did note that Buchanan was referred to as America's only bachelor president. 
And he was that, but what was left out of the historical record until fairly recently was the fact that for 16 years, he lived with Senator William Rufus Devane King, vice president under his predecessor, Franklin Pierce. James Buchanan and Rufus Devane King, in fact, lived together for about 18 years, and there was quite a lot of talk about the two of them in Washington during that interim. King was, in fact, better known for his effeminate clothing and demeanor than his politics. Interesting aside about King, on Inauguration Day, he was in Cuba trying to recover from tuberculosis. He was too sick to make it to Washington. He did make it back to Alabama for a victory celebration, and then he died. The length of his term as vice president was six weeks. This made him the only bachelor vice president, the only vice president to be sworn in outside the country, the only one never to enter Washington, D.C. during his term. It was noted that no one lost much sleep in finding a replacement for him. The position of vice president remained vacant until the next election, which his former pal, James Buchanan, won. Homosexuality was not uh, talked about uh, in, in polite society back uh, in those days, but the two, of them, the two men were referred to as Siamese twins, which was code at the time for a gay couple. And if you thought we were going to refer to Abraham Lincoln as being gay, Buchanan's successor, our 16th and first Republican president, well, we think the evidence is far from conclusive. Although it's true, in 1837, Abe Lincoln did uh, share a, uh, a room and a bed with Josiah Speed. In the 19th century, splitting a bed was not looked at the way we look at it today. It was an extremely common practice. In the early part of the 20th century, in fact, Major League Baseball teams, when they would train around the country in rooming houses and hotels, would have the players share a bed. And uh, I think it was mentioned in that Ken Burns series on baseball that uh, Ducky Medwick, a pitcher at the turn of the century, was, was disliked by his teammates for his bad habit of eating crackers in bed. To quote from Cecil Adams of uh, The Straight Dope, the intimacy of the two men's friendship, Mrs. Speed and Lincoln, suggests that there was more going on than frontier privation or fear of frostbite. And rabble-rousing gay activist Larry Kramer says he has proof, namely hitherto unknown letters and a diary kept by Speed. At a gay and lesbian conference in 1999, Kramer read from his unfinished book, The American People, quoting that diary. But Cecil Adam notes, uh, the years have passed and there's no sign of uh, Kramer's magnum opus. The historical natives are getting restless. And as for America's second gay president, it's a name you know well, and it's a name we're going to leave off the program until next week. Aww. And no, I can't prove the assertion, but I will make the case. I want to return briefly to the issue of the North Korean uh, so-called nuclear test. You know, all I can say about this is we have seismic stations all across the globe and certainly on the Korean peninsula that should be able to tell definitively whether that was a nuclear test. Now, there's some fudge factor here because if the bomb fizzled and didn't go off, well, it may be harder to tell the signature. But nevertheless, people are openly questioning whether this took place. Because in an odd sort of way, the North Koreans think that if they can claim that they have a bomb, then they won't be invaded or won't be messed with. And I think in that, that's probably a correct assumption. Experts had cautioned that North Korea may try and fake a nuclear explosion, setting off conventional explosions. And the only way to know for sure, it was said, is if American sniffer planes patrolling North Korean coast pick up evidence of nuclear byproducts in the air. 
I do wonder about that because when the when the South Africans and Israelis got together and blew off a bomb in the Southern Hemisphere back in the 1970s, it was later claimed that they couldn't detect with these sniffer airplanes any evidence of it. Thus, there was a successful cover-up that lasted for, I think, almost 20 years to the effect that there had been no such explosion. In an odd sort of way, the North Koreans want to claim that they have an ex- a nuclear weapon, and hawks uh, in Washington want to claim they have a nuclear weapon, so... We don't know what's going on. We're going to follow this one very closely in the next couple of weeks. Oh, and as follow-up on our indication, we wanted to talk about All the King's Men. The follow-up is as follows. Got really lousy reviews. We didn't see it. Let us just simply refer you to our media correspondent, Gary Chu's review of the film, which can be found at TulsaTVMemories.com. Something else we didn't do was attend the uh, gubernatorial debate at CSUS uh, last Saturday. By the way, in a few minutes, we're going to bring on, hopefully, our, uh, our Cal State University Sacramento's correspondent, something I think we should have here at UCD. We think these two great uh, university institutions don't, don't interface as much as they ought to. We're going to try and fix that. Anyway, while the Angelides campaign is trying to portray uh, uh, the governor as someone who stereotypes Mexicans... Schwarzenegger's appearing on the cover of the bee with the Dalai Lama. I'm not sure I'm going to vote for on election day, but the one guy I'm positive that I won't cast a ballot for is Mr. Phil Angelides. Before election day, we're still hoping to make a trip down to Laguna West and see this so-called green, eco-friendly development uh, that Angelides slapped up a few years back. Speaking of green, there is some good news from Iraq. It turns out that uh, the Mesopotamian marshes in southern Iraq... Are, uh, are coming back. Saddam Hussein tried to stamp out his political opposition down there by draining them, but uh, a study um, from the British Ecological Society, published on September 5th, found that 39% of all marshlands have been flooded again and that native species are reestablishing themselves. Yay. And a final news item, the Mars Opportunity rover has gotten up to the edge of Victoria Crater And NASA released, and I I hope you saw this, uh, a photo taken by the Mars Reconnaissance Satellite that shows the crater and the little blue disk of the rover sitting on the edge. It's thought that with the help of the uh, the orbiter, they'll be able to find a way down into the bottom of the crater where they can do some fabulous geology. Unfortunately, at the moment, the sun is about to come between the Earth and Mars, and the teams at NASA won't be able to communicate with the rover for a few weeks. So, uh... It's exciting stuff, but it's on hold for a little bit. All right, as the show winds down, it looks as though we are, yes, joined by our new Cal State University Sacramento correspondent, Sarah Lynn. Welcome to Radio Parallax. Thank you, Doug. Glad to be here. Now, we should point out you are a new student over at Cal State Sacramento. Yes, this is my first semester. I transferred from San Francisco State. And you are a communications major. Yes, junior a communications major. All right. Well, then you're just the perfect person, I think, to be informing us about developments across the causeway. I hope so. <laughs> I'd like to be referred to as the Davis Sac State liaison. Oh, excellent, excellent. You are you are that. And my dear liaison, uh, we did give you an assignment about ten days ago when there was a world class event taking place at, at CSUS. They had the San Francisco International Comedy Competition semifinals and you were in the audience as i understand 
Yes, I was. It was a competition between 10 upcoming comedians for 10 minutes each. And the winner, Dylan Mandelson, was really funny. He was really good on stage and captured everyone in the audience. I've seen one of these before. They, they take the 10 guys come in, five guys come out. Yes. That's and then what, they compete against each other. I think in the, the finals. Yeah, winner. right, right, okay. right, right. And it's got it's got quite an illustrious past. I mean, from my understanding, in the years past, there's been Robin Williams, Ellen DeGeneres, Roseanne Barr, our pal Will Durst won one year. Okay. So it's been quite a quite a breeding ground for future comedy stardom. Yes, and hopefully the winner Dylan will make it big because he's really good. So you really thought he he deserved to take home the uh, the award? Yes, him along with the runner-up, Leo Flowers, who you can find on MySpace at myspace.com slash leoflowers. Okay. He's really funny, too. Because with the one I saw, the guy that won, I thought shouldn't have won. I thought, this, I thought the runner-up guy was better, but it is a matter of personal taste. They had different delivery, different type of jokes, so they could have each won the competition, right. I guess and you could say. I'm, the pictures I saw on the web, one, one guy's an old guy. Yeah, like he was really something. old. He was pressing the limit on old <laughs> issues. He was being really funny. He stuck his hand in his pocket and was like, want to see me juggle? It was really funny. <laughs> well, I guess we can slip that one by the censors. <laughs> yeah. And as we speak, I, in fact, am pulling up Leo Flowers' site here on, on MySpace.com. And uh, he's got some Oprah jokes here. Yes, very funny, actually. Well, let's, let's let the audience judge that. Let's, let's, let's take some of Leo's material here. All right, let's quote here from Leo Flowers. I think the first female president should not be Condi or Hillary, but Oprah, because people of all nationalities love Oprah. People want to share with Oprah. I'm sure she could get an insurgent to tell us the whereabouts of Osama bin Laden. And, you know, I bet once Osama found out she was president, he would just come out of hiding just to be on her show. I want to thank Mr. McMillan, our sound engineer, for his timely laughter injected at just that right moment. All right, well, Sarah, we have to give you a couple of assignments here. I think uh, the two things we ought to have you do between now and two weeks from now when you come back is find out what's going over there on over there at KSSU, Sacramento State Radio. We don't know much about them, or at least I sure don't. I don't know much about them either. They got a radio station on the, the Sac State campus. And we should go put out feelers. So you are the designated feeler. Okay, I'll go over there and I'll check things out. And, and while you're at it, while you're over there in Sacramento, why don't you go over to uh, The Voice it's over at uh, Sacramento Access and, and see, what, uh, see what Shane Carpenter's up to over there. They're rebuilding a program over there of different shows. And I think you should go see what's up. Aye, aye, sir. All right, you're, uh, that's your assignment. And I'm sure we'll get results. Actually, I would like to say hi to my aunt. She's a professor at Sac State in the department that I'm studying, communications. Oh, excellent. What was her name again? Jerry. Jerry Smith. Hi, Aunt Jerry. Sarah Lynn, our new correspondent that's going to bridge the gap, turn that causeway into, uh, you know, a pipeline to connect our two institutions. Hopefully. That about wraps it up for today's program. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. Todd is going to be alternating the, this quarter with The Analyst, but I believe he's going to follow us next. So stay tuned for that. We'll see you next week at the same time. Mm-hmm.